Welcome to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, a podcast that's all about changing the way we view midlife and bringing the conversation about menopause out into the open. Each week we share stories, experiences and inspiration. We talk to experts on how to best navigate this time of life and find out how other people have not only survived but thrived through this time. I'm your host, Karen O'Connor. Hello and welcome to today's episode. I'm back here with Ryan. We were having an off-screen conversation and then, as usual, I went, okay, stop. We need to actually record this and take out the various people's names that we were talking about because I don't want to do that live on air. Mm -hmm. But it's an interesting conversation. So we started talking about stress responses because I had some news this morning that kind of made me go, oh, I'm really not in the mood. We were going to talk. We're talking about women's equality and all sorts of things today. And my head is just not in that game. And so we started talking about stress responses and the conversation got really interesting. So talk to me about, because the thing that surprised me at the start of this conversation was that stress responses is one of the first things that children learn. And you learn it at about age three. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. Quite early. Yeah, you learn the seeds of how you respond as an adult. So because you, you refine over time, but generally speaking, it's in behavioral psychology. The term is arousal, right? Arousal facilitates the function of the dominant response. Right? So whenever you are aroused, which in psychology is fight or flight, right? it will make you do what your first response to stress is. And the first response, generally speaking, is made at around that age, really young, toddler kind of age. And you learn it from watching the people around you. And it was interesting because I noted that your dad's response to stress, and I am going to mention him here, apologies, John, but I know he he does listen to the podcast. But anyway, your dad's response is to take himself out of the situation. Mm. My response, as a complete alternative to your father's, is I have a tantrum. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's not quite how I'd put it but yeah yeah it's fairly accurate yeah <laughs> and your response is my response is a combination of the two I get really grumpy and I disconnect emotionally from people around me <laughs> which I actually think is what I do because I remember saying to you lot on any number of occasions when one of you had gone too far just leave me alone for five minutes <laughs> That's true. That is true. I, I tend to shout less. In fact, I don't think I shout at all. Sometimes, Joe, you used your shouting voice. And I think that's just my normal voice, but it has a bit of an edge on it. You know what I mean? I don't actually raise the voice. I just have what she refers to as my shouting voice. <laughs> but in any case, yeah, a lot of your stress response, which is, is very much outward emotional projection to immediate stress, I don't have. And instead, I have that disconnect that dad has when he's under stress doesn't talk about it isn't in the same room leave me alone I'm gonna go for a walk dad stuff <laughs> and so I, I learned mine from the two of you <laughs> you got a combination and then you were saying once we start to recognize what it is we do then we can maybe have a plan b to deal with it yeah. so and 
possibly adult, a more adult response as opposed to a three-year-old response. I haven't got to that bit yet personally, but anyway. Being aware is, is the first step. As soon as you learn this stuff, the first thing you ask is, what's my response to, to stress? So I was, I became very aware that I got really grumpy. And then you hear through the past, you're like, oh yeah, everyone always told me I was really grumpy, which is because that's that emotional disconnect. Grumpy just means emotionally disconnected and angry. <laughs> that's just what, what grumpy is. But I also think it's pretty good because grumpy is a word that implies that it's harmless. There's a little bit of a snip there, but ultimately a grumpy person isn't the same as an angry person, which is as responses to stress go not bad you, you can always be better and so as soon as I discovered that that's what I do I decided to try to change that and and I was saying before <laughs> I think it's very reasonable right I think my response is very reasonable because now when I'm grumpy I, I turn to Joe poor lovely Joe who doesn't deserve this and I say Joe I'm very stressed out right now I need some space I just I appreciate you trying to help but I just need you to leave me alone for a while which is absolutely true and very fair. And I can completely understand her immediately thinking, he hates me, something's wrong, we're going to get divorced. <laughs> Which, you know, to me, is just me saying the truth in an albeit grumpy tone. Because if there's also something that I've learned from not just philosophy, but also acting, trying to pretend that you don't have emotions always leads to pain in the long run. You have to feel them. You have to allow yourself to feel that. Now, that comment leads us on to the second thing that we started talking about, which was this happy, clappy lifestyle that we're all led to believe is our perfect. This is how we should be. This is the optimum existence for a human being is to have no anger, no sadness, no negative emotions mm -hmm. in our life. Yeah. Instagram and some people's Facebook pages where everything's perfect and look at us we're so happy like in the conversation I had with Louise Pieri the other week it's actually toxic doing that it's a really inhibiting and it's almost a self-harming way to be yep you're kneecapping yourself pretty much it's the Christmas effect as I was saying before if Christmas came every day it wouldn't mean anything uh, and I have a personal theory that I call the paper, which is that because we're machines, we're animals, we're, we're designed to, to feel certain things. And of those certain things, the core emotions are one of the most important, not just happiness, but also sadness, anger, envy, disgust, things like that. We're, we're designed to feel that these are all natural responses to being a person in a world and aiming to only feel happiness. All the time, I think, will eventually not only numb you to that, but really limit your ability to feel anything at all. So the paper cut theory, this is my personal theory, and I think it makes a lot of sense. And it's built on like several other things as well. It's not entirely baseless. When a baby is born, uh, just for the, I've already told mum this, but just for, the, for, for you, the viewer, uh, when a baby is born and it comes out of the womb and let's say on its way out, gets a paper cut, one of the nurses is waving around an envelope, which is something that happens in labor, I'm, I'm sure. And um, the baby gets a paper cut and in that moment experiences pain. In fact, in the original version of this, it's not as, it doesn't have a nice title, but coming out into air for the first time and clearing your lungs out and, and all of a sudden, just the exposure of your skin to a surface that it's never felt before 
is the single most pain that that person has ever felt in their entire life. You're maxing out your ability to feel pain. And because your brain processes pain and, and happiness and sadness and in all those kinds of things on a case-by-case basis, that agony in that moment, I think, is equivalent to the worst pain that an adult will experience, breaking a leg or massively getting a concussion by falling off a horse. These are equivalent relatively between these people. That's agony for you, which by extension applies to all of the emotions. The attachment that a person feels for a loved one and then that person dies is awful. That's some of the worst pain you'll ever feel. But to a three or four-year-old who hasn't established any emotional connection, they don't have that. What they do have is an emotional connection to a doll that they then lose. And they have a tantrum and they have a really big sad moment. And we, the adults, say that's that's ridiculous. (laughs) It's a doll. Move on. But to them, I think that's equivalent isn't it? They don't know how to deal with that. But that's their paper cut moment, which isn't to say that they are actually equivalent. They're just relatively equivalent between two different kinds of person. So you're designed to feel the maximum amount of any. You can try to cut out all emotions and live a life of apathy. And you know what? You do, you boo. But if you're living your life and something terrible happens, something goes wrong, the response to that is to feel anger or sadness. And the sadness or the anger isn't the bad thing. The bad thing is what has happened. Anger only exists as a response to injustice. Sadness only exists as an absence of happiness, like the the sudden end of something, thwarted expectations. And they themselves, they're not bad. They're the indication of a healthy system. The more you feel them, the better. It's not something that you should try to stop. I remember somebody pointing out to me that here's time going along and here's you feeling happy and here's you feeling sad and here's you feeling happy and sad and so on and what does it look like a heartbeat now there's extremes of those things when people have bipolar disorder or whatever and they've got wildly fluctuating that's not healthy but we are designed to do that I I remember a few years ago I wrote a post about wanting to move house and enjoying change. And if my life was getting a bit boring, I'd create some drama in it, which you might know about that. But And this psychologist from the States put this big, long comment on my post, prescribed me with having ADHD and told me to go to the doctor and ask for these specific medications because it would even out my life. And my response to that was, but then I'd be dead. If we are expecting only have this tiny range of emotions, then we're not actually alive because we're not experiencing anything. Yeah. One of the happiest moments of my life was in New Zealand with Joe. And anyone who's heard the New Zealand story, I apologize because it is a solid 40 minutes long and uses a lot of hand gestures. But the crux of it is that we were caught in a landslide in the mountain. Um, took eight hours to fall down the mountain and then were stranded on a rock and got hypothermia then were rescued by the Coast Guard. That's the short version. So many other things went wrong. I think if you can possibly imagine everything that went wrong and then multiply that by two, that's how many things went wrong. It went so wrong that when we got brought back to town and we got off the boat to walk back into town, we went, we turned the wrong way. 
we had to turn back around again. That's how wrong it went. Everything that could possibly have gone wrong went wrong. And one of the fondest memories of my entire life is that evening. After everything had happened, we went back to the hotel. We cried a little bit. We had a shower. We changed our clothes. And I called you. And then after that, we went into town to eat because we hadn't eaten all day. We hadn't had a drink in about 12 hours. And we went to the pub. And they said, oh, you said, are you still doing food? And they said, hey, you're the guys who fell down. Yeah, we'll open the kitchen back up for you. And, and we said, thanks. We tried not to cry. And we had um, a steak dinner and a pint of beer each. And that is, to this day, one of my most treasured moments. I remember it with crystal clear precision. I remember exactly what she looked like, how the beer tasted. The Oxley pub, I remember what the server looked like. I remember everything. And everything that bad that happened. I gloss over a little bit, it's mildly traumatic. But without all those terrible things, we wouldn't have had the Oxley pub, which to this day, brings me happiness whenever I think of the memory. It is a source of unspeakable joy that we had a quiet, happy moment after that, all that terrible things happened. And I think that that's the point. Isn't it? it is really, it is. And going back to the stress response, what was your stress response? <laughs> I know what Joe's stress response was, and I would have blamed you as well, because it was your fault. She did. She did blame me. Fight or flight is a great way to sum up most people's response to stress because it's a very easy grouping of toward or away, right? Do you go towards it or do you go away from it? Another thing that I've noticed, this is just my personal noticing, is that when you're in a group of people and someone is already fulfilling a certain emotional function, you don't have to. So if you're involved in, for instance, a production and one person is stressing the heck out of selling tickets like they're, they're like oh no i don't know whether we can sell all the tickets blah, 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 blah. your response is it'll be all right <laughs> everything's fine as long as they stay stressed you're good so joe got the real estate on being angry very early she spent a solid six hours swearing and by goodness she knows a lot of swear words <laughs> She swore at trees, she swore at birds, she swore at the rocks, she swore at the gods. Not just one god, by the way, she cycled through religions. She hated everything and everyone. And in all of that time, she never once hated me, which I will point out. Because, and, and I know the moment that you're thinking of, we got back down onto the rock and we were sitting on the rock and I said, because my response, because she was angry, was just plain old give up. I was like, leave me on the mountain. At one point, I was buried up to the waist in rocks. And I said, just leave me. Honestly, just get out of here. I'm pretty sure I pulled about eight muscles. I broke a toe. I found out later. <laughs> it was bad. And, uh, and I was just like, just leave me. And she was like, turn that hateful stare on me. She was like, don't. Just, just don't. I will hate you forever if you stay here. And I was like, fair enough. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> anyway, we were down on the rock later on. And we were waiting for the Coast Guard, which took, again, like a solid hour to turn up, which I think is bad service. But I said to Joe, please don't break up with me. I take full responsibility, but please, I'll, I'll do better. I promise. And she said, um, I'm not going to break up with you, you, you idiot. But I'm never letting you plan a camping trip ever again. And I, that is another moment that to this day fills me with joy. <laughs> 
because I thought to myself, I'm going to marry this girl. <laughs> because everything and everything had gone wrong. And I do take responsibility for that. Uh, in retrospect, I think it's a little bit unfair for me to take 100% responsibility for that. Because sometimes nature is just terrible. Just can't help it. Sometimes you can do your best and everything will still go wrong. And it, I do take responsibility for the fact that it was my plan. Everything that we did was my plan. So it's on me. But her response was not to hate me. She was like, I accept that you take responsibility for that. You idiot. Absolute disaster of a human being. Yeah, so that was in response to you saying that she hated me. I just, uh, I'd like to clear the record, listener. <laughs> I couldn't love my wife more. But yes, yeah, so we had two different responses. She was angry. I was sad. That's a really interesting observation. So is there a certain, in a group of people responding to a situation, is there a certain number of emotions that need to be shown? And do we, is it like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just That's kind of going, okay, question. how That's does this work? Question. I don't know. I would suspect that the larger the group goes, the more people specialize in specific emotions. So for instance, if you've got a group of six, you're not going to go around and feel happiness, sadness, disgust, mm. envy, that kind of stuff. But you might, one person is angry about the world and one person is angry at other people and all those kinds of things. What I've tended to find is that when the main bases are covered emotionally, people tend to bicker. It's our instant response. Or we tend to care for one another, become overly niggly about caring. We, you know, force our attention onto other people. That's Explain that one to me. I'm not following that yeah. one. So if you're in a group of six and you're falling down mountain and everything's terrible, one person's going to immediately call being angry at the universe. And another person is going to be like, everything's terrible. We're all going to die. And then another person will be, it'll probably be the heroic response next. I'm going to try to do this thing. You guys stay here. I'm going to figure this out, sacrifice myself for or something like that. That's, that's a pretty typical response to stress. Uh, and then you've got like three ball people. And one of them, is probably going to be like, we need to take care of each other. Make sure that you rest all the time. Are you sitting down right now? Blah, 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 blah. And the kind, the kind where you're like, just, just back off. But <laughs> just, please just back off. Like the mountain is not as bad as how overbearing you're being right now. Just chill out, okay? Because that's another response to stress. Humans are social animals. We are literally built to care for one another. And that is a natural response to stress. Once the immediate problem has been taken care of we care for one another so when we were sat on that rock my response was to care for her please don't break up with me that was the only thing I could do at that point I couldn't make her warm again I couldn't give her food or water because we'd been hit by rocks so hard that the tins had burst inside of our bags you yeah, were black and blue I remember that yeah it was bad it was bad listener it was bad. I've seen the face of hell and it looks like I'm in New Zealand. But <laughs> we survived. <laughs> we survived. And no thanks to me. And it, it has led to happiness. I now know the measure of how much things can hurt, which is great. Because to this day as well, if something's really bad, like really bad, I'll say to Joe, is it as bad as New Zealand? Like, honestly, how are we talking? Scale of one to New Zealand, how bad is this? It's just be like, it's about an eight. It's not that bad. I'd be like, great, we can deal with that. I don't know what we would do if it ever got over New Zealand. I was just going to ask you that. We'd probably do what we did then and make it up as we went along. 
But it's, I think, it, honestly, it's been really good for our relationship because that was 18 months into dating and being able to see what the other person's response is to just the absolute rock bottom of a situation is not only really great, but it also allows you both to demonstrate how much you care for one another. Because in those situations, it might be very tempting to look after yourself, to be selfish. I personally don't think that's as common as a lot of people think. I think that it would do everyone good to see themselves caring for other people when they've hit rock bottom. And I think that is a much more common response than a lot of people think. And all of these are reasons that I think it's really good to suffer. I actually I think, think really that, important. though, is uh, an emotional maturity thing, caring for others. It is. I think in a specific way, emotional maturity, I found, comes from a listening, as you put it when we were growing up, a listening to other people. I think the caring is something that comes to us naturally. It's not necessarily a good form of caring. So, for instance, whenever you were upset when we were kids, I think some or all of us would go outside to play and leave you on your own. And we'd come back and we'd bring you gifts, shiny rocks, small flowers a bit of stick, something that we found to give you a gift. That's the three-year-old's response to stress. (laughs) Because we can't do anything else when you're three. And you don't have the emotional maturity to sit down and say, I understand that you have emotions and that you're trying to deal with them in the most effective way possible. And I just want to let you know that I am here to help and I want you to take some space and I'll do the washing up. (laughs) We don't have the emotional maturity to do that. So I think that emotional maturity isn't necessarily what leads you to your stress response being to care. Emotional maturity just, I think, sharpens the edge and makes you more effective at doing it in a way that helps other people rather than just fulfills your inherent need. Because sometimes caring can be selfish. I don't you can, but I'm thinking of a scenario specifically in the Mm. Harry Potter movies where Malfoy will Mm. do whatever he can to look after his own skin and get out of there first. And Mm. there's an emotional immaturity about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was the scenario that I was actually thinking of, that when somebody puts themselves first to that extent, a lot of the time it's emotional immaturity. I enjoy that. I enjoy that example, first of all. And I think it is very common, but I think it also harkens back to something we were talking about before, that in any given situation, some people have certain responses. If you as a person in any stressful situation that you've been in the past have always had someone else there to take care of other people, all you've needed to do is care about yourself. You have never needed to care about other people. And so I think that he is a great response to that because he's a very rich, very privileged person who has always had someone else around to take care of him, house elves or his mother, or, you know, his, his, my father will hear about this, that kind of thing. It comes more easily when you're removed from that situation. And it's something that, that you and I were talking about, about an unspecified third person, is I, I said, in order to really, truly grow, I think, and New Zealand was great for me for this, you need to be put into a situation. Things go as badly as they could ever go. And you have absolutely no hope of getting help. 
because and that's an awful thing to wish on anyone that's absolutely awful but it will teach you true empathy i think because if you've been in that situation no one is going to help you and sometimes being sad giving up is selfish if you've broken a toe and pulled several muscles halfway down a mountain and you've been hit by god knows how many rocks and you haven't eaten in six hours and you haven't had a drink in three hours and things are as awful as you get the response is this person is you know more likely to get out of the situation than i am go and leave me and that's a selfish response because if you have any strength left in you and you care about someone else then you've got to pick yourself up and keep going on because what occurred to me moments later was how would it feel if you were Joe and you were on the mountain and I died? How would that have felt? So you've got to do your absolute best all the time in situations like that. And I think it's only by being in a situation which no one can care for you, no one can save you, do you really truly learn how to respond to situations from all of those perspectives. Because sometimes you have to cover all those bases. But that in itself, that concern about how Joe would have felt that's a maturity as well true it wasn't the first thing I thought though (laughs) it wasn't the first thing I thought it is now the first thing I think it scored that lesson into the front of my forehead it's tattooed behind my eyes if something bad happens how would it feel if I didn't do my absolute best to make sure that she and everyone else is okay so I think that Draco Malfoy is a good one because at the end of the book the end of the book spoiler alert everyone uh he defects he defects the good guys harry saves him because he went to save his own skin and harry does the opposite and goes and saves him and pulls him out and he goes to uh to kind of change his ways i think this is a small thing it's not a huge thing but it's something i think everyone needs the opportunity to be hopeless but i don't think most people have had that opportunity no, I don't think so either. And um, I don't think they ever will. And I don't know what to tell you about that. And because wishing suffering on, a, on another human being is an awful thing to do. No, you, you don't want anyone to have to suffer more than they absolutely should, especially because as we've seen in the last two years, sometimes suffering will just hit you and there's nothing that you can do about it. And sometimes you can do your absolute best in a given situation. You can try to account for every variable. You can think that you are on top of everything and absolutely everything can go wrong i know that everyone should learn that lesson i think there is no certainty in the world but you're right we are so sheltered that it has stunted our ability to be hopeless to have a hopeless situation and have to make it out make your own emotion because i think that's the paper cut isn't it that situation that measurement of absolute hopelessness will be your measure for the rest of your life this is how bad things can get and this is what i have to do Uh, and if you don't have that what happens i also think that we will become a little bit immune to it as well the further in the distant past that it gets yes you need inoculations (laughs) i agree i think that's I don't know. I'm a bit, it's not quite landing for me. I get what you're saying, but it's also not quite landing for me. And I can't quite put my finger on why. I I agree. It's, I think it's because it's not the full story, is it? It, It's just, that's one example of, because let's bring it back to 
the fact that we we have to experience the full range of human emotion. Right? And I think that having something bad is, is a good kind of measure of, of that. But like I was saying to you in the, in the first unrecorded version of this conversation, if you don't have something really bad happen to you, for instance, if you don't fall down a mountain because your boyfriend at the time misjudged the weather conditions and, and decided to bring you both bush bashing on the New Zealand mountainside, if, if you don't have that outlet for your anger and you go to the shops and you've not been angry for a week at all and someone cuts in line in front of you, that's going to that's gonna rouse your anger. You're going to get really angry about that. It's a really petty thing to get angry about, but you will get angry. And it, the anger itself isn't the bad thing, but it does exist as a response to that. And I think that's why, that's one of the reasons that I personally try to live a life in which a lot of things can go wrong. Because it is far better to experience those negative emotions in something that deserves them. Because I think we all have to experience those emotions. And it's better to do it in a situation that warrants them. And doing that in that way is much better philosophically, ethically, and whatnot, than living a life in which you try to aim for apathy. Because I think that is what a lot of people recognize. If you live a life in which you work a nine to five job, every day is the same. You go to the shops and someone cuts in line and you get really angry, like unwarrantedly angry. You scream at a little old lady who didn't see you. This isn't based on a real example. And you realize that's a horrible thing to do to a little old lady. <laughs> and that's unwarranted. So the logical thing to do then is to just control that anger. Just get rid of it. Just don't feel angry, right? Which is, you know, fairly logical. You can use logic to justify literally anything, but that's a fairly logical outcome. But I think that's going in the wrong direction. <laughs> you're designed to feel all of these emotions and you're designed to feel them at magnitude. We're supposed to wear emotion machines, with, like literally. Muscles aren't just made for movement, they're, they're made for emotion. Gestures are something that exists throughout language. Every human being can communicate what they are feeling based purely on the expression on your face. We are so good at it that whole sciences have cropped up on micro expressions. We can detect emotion and transmit it at incredible frequencies. And trying to stop that from happening, I think, is the death of humanity in a person, which is why I think that the New Zealand thing is my example. That's, that's the most terrible thing that I've ever had happen to me. It's not the only terrible thing. I was homeless for a while. I am an actor. That's enough for you right there. That's enough suffering in that package. But when bad things happen, if our response to every stress so far has been to, I don't feel anger, it's fine. I'm not going to scream this little old lady. I'm just going to bottle it down. And then something really bad happens. Your first knee-jerk reaction, arousal facilitates the function of the dominant response, is going to be to push that down. And if it's really bad, if someone's died, if you've lost everything, that's when bad things start to happen. I think really bad things. Apathy itself is bad enough. Yeah, I, th I think one of the places where we are going to have to wrap up in a minute because we've been talking for a long time, as usual. Yeah. But one of the places where, or one of the things that's not sitting comfortably with me is that your experience in New Zealand was a massive single event that went hideously mm. wrong and left mm. you scarred and bruised and broken and emotionally and physically. That doesn't happen for a lot of people. No. Through no oh. fault of their own. No, it doesn't happen. Yeah. That, no, it, it was a fluke. It was a fluke. I acknowledge that. A terrible fluke that I take 100% responsibility for. 
sorry, my point is the New Zealand is the New Zealand for me, but everyone has their own New Zealand. Do you know what I mean? Everyone has a moment in which things go as terribly wrong as they possibly could from their perspective. And for me, that was rock bottom. I could have died. I was, I stared into death's face for about six hours, which is an awful thing to happen, but definitely totally changed my emotional response to almost everything. But if someone else's New Zealand is crashing a car into a house, uh, sorry, dinging a car, it's not even a proper crash, or getting really drunk and waking up in an alleyway in the morning, or something trivial. <laughs> in comparison, it might not be trivial to them, and I apologize to anyone whose life experiences has had rock bottom be something like that. But that will inform them differently. They haven't, if that's their measure of how bad things can get, then it's going to skew the importance of everything else. I'm, I'm still finding that really judgmental. Sorry. Because it's, it's a comparison. And it is, yeah, it is. So I'm thinking because there could be things, it could be losing your job, or one of the yeah. worst times of my yeah. life was when we first moved to Australia. I hated it mm. with a passion. Your nana was the same, she hated mm. it as well. Mm. And so it might not be one massive traumatic event, it could be a few things that just build up and up. And it's not a car crash or a an accident like falling down a hill and in mountain in New Zealand with a landslide quickly following behind you. It could be an emotional thing, being moving away from your family, moving away from your home, being in a different culture. It could be all of those things. But it's not, yeah, I'm I'm just struggling with the comparison. Okay. Cause I certainly the paper cut theory mm. means that everyone experiences the maximum amount of any emotion in that worst experience. So I'm certainly not, you know, saying that other people haven't suffered as much as I have. They, they absolutely have because emotion is relative. So in the moment that they experience the worst possible moment, they experience as much suffering as I did on New Zealand. I'm not knocking that at all. My personal philosophy is that you need to do that fairly often. You need to suffer fairly often, I think, in order to keep that, that measurement. The, the option is not to avoid that because that'll stunt you emotionally speaking i think you need to be okay with that and accept that because it's only through that comparison to new zealand that you get the pub dinner at the oxley and the night of you need both and emotional life for instance moving to australia is some of the worst that we, we are inherently social creatures isolation is just a disease for us that's that's why isolation is used as a punishment in prisons <laughs> it's uh, it's considered a breach of human rights by the UN. We can't be kept in isolation. And, and so that's why that's so terribly traumatic. It really is. Emotional isolation is awful. And so I'm not knocking that. Not at all. That's awful. I'm saying that the, the response to that a lot of the time is to avoid that. And I think that's the wrong reaction. We have to head towards it. <laughs> the only option is two things. Firstly, to learn how to deal with that emotionally so that the next time it happens, you're okay. So for us, it's, is it as bad as New Zealand? Sometimes it has put us in a worse financial or emotional state than New Zealand did. But New Zealand was bad because we'd never experienced it before. We had no idea how to deal with that. And so when we say, is it as bad as New Zealand? Are we so completely and terribly hopeless as we were then? No, we're more complete people. I think we have a more complete understanding of how to respond to situations. We've grown, which leads me to the second 
thing that you need from these experiences, which is just to make sure you never do them again. Not that specific one, because sometimes, as we were saying, bad things, you cannot avoid it. I would put, honestly, being in lockdown during COVID high up on my list of traumas. That was awful. And like you're saying, it wasn't just one thing. That was a solid nine months of emotional isolation from the rest of the world. That's it's pretty traumatic, honestly. (laughs) It's up there with being homeless. But the instinct and a lot of people's recommendation, I think, is to avoid that, to avoid those traumatic things. And I think that's dangerous. I think that's very dangerous. You have to experience them. You have to suffer. And you have to be okay with suffering, which is also yeah. a Harry Potter thing. You're, you're going to suffer, but you're going to be happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's too, isn't it? <laughs> and you do. I think you do. I, I think or not look on it as not make it wrong. It's just not make it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You are built to experience the full range of human emotion. A lot of us, because of the world that we live in, live lives of, of just apathy. Office jobs will do that to you. I completely understand. And you don't want to scream at the little old lady in Coles. But if you haven't experienced any real emotions because you work in a nine to five job, that is going to be your only emotional outlet. And the people who say that the response to that is just to, to not try to feel anger. No, find something to get angry about. People use sports, people use dance, people use reality television programs. You have to feel the full range of human emotion. Better to feel it with other real people rather than television programs. That's just my personal kind of thing. I think we should share those things. That is the point I was trying to make. And on that note, thank you so much. (laughs) Very welcome. (laughs) It was a bit of a ramble, but I think we got there in the end. We got there in the end. (laughs) Thanks. for joining us this week on menopause marriage and motherhood make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite player and while you're at it we'd love you to leave us a rating on itunes or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show that would be amazing too be sure to tune in next week for the next episode and remember if you're busy thinking about what you can't have how on earth are you going to enjoy what you can have see you next week